Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Good morning. If you're listening online, you're the only people that are listening this time. And I want to take a moment and say thank you for allowing me to be even a small part of your journey of seeking God, learning more about what his word says and applying that to your life. Um, The day that we recorded this live, it somehow didn't record. And so I'm actually speaking to an empty room as I'm recording this. But I know there are people listening and that means a lot. Thank you that you're listening and welcome. This is the first in a series on wise choices. Uh, It's called Whom Shall I Fear? In the scriptures, wise choices are so much more than the things that we put on posters or post online, little cute sayings or things that sound profound or make our friends say, dude, that is so cool. It's so much deeper than just not doing foolish things. Wise choices in the scripture is all about strategy. It's about making the most out of life. It's finding God's perfect will for you. And if you listen to the last series about moral boundaries. This will make really good sense. If not, you should go back and listen to that. But God will never ask you to do something outside of the boundaries he has placed in the Bible. It's never going to be a wise choice. It's never going to be the best possible choice if you're doing something that is outside of God's boundaries. But inside of his boundaries, there's a lot of space. And wisdom takes it deeper than that. Not just, hey, we're inside the lines, but what is the best possible thing to do one of the biggest motivators for all of us is fear it can be a good thing fear can motivate you to wear a seatbelt and become a really good safe driver it can also be a terrible thing for example fear can also motivate you to never even try to get your driver's license or make you a really terrible driver because you're so anxious and panicked all the time wise choices whom shall i fear About a year ago, I had the wonderful privilege of going skydiving. A couple days before I first preached this sermon, I had posted on Facebook. A lot of people noticed the video and all that. Most of them I was thankful to see also noticed the note that I put around there because that was the point. I was pointing out that courage in in the scriptures is not just kind of denying our fear, just doing crazy stuff because we're not bound by fear like everybody else. Courage is putting your trust in something bigger and better than you. I said in that the absolute truth. I went with the Chattanooga Diving School. I had a wonderful guy who was coaching me. I was strapped to this dude. He knew exactly what, he'd be, what he was doing, and that was why I was able to be courageous. But also, we're applying this to this next thing about fear. And I'd like to just be really open, maybe a little too transparent as I'm saying this out loud to all of you in the interwebs. I am deathly afraid of failure. I am afraid of heights. I was literally just scared of heights that day, but not near as much as I was afraid of failure. I did not want to become a little sticky spot in the grass somewhere near Chattanooga, but way more than that, I did not want to be the guy who didn't jump. There was a guy on the plane that day. His name was Jacob McDaniel, a good friend of mine. Jacob 
had never even been in an airplane before. To, as far as I know, he's never landed in an airplane to this day. But that day he went up in an airplane and jumped. There was no way that I was going to watch that happen and then them go, well, what was it like? Well, I, I kind of chicken out. My fear of failure absolutely was driving the train that day. And I'm thankful it did. It was wonderful. It was so fun. But failing is so scary because it ties into the most primal fears we have. You look at just about any source about fear online, any book you want to read, you're going to find there are about five things that are on every list. One is death. We're all afraid of dying. We're all afraid of being hurt somehow, being mutilated, being tortured, being going through some sort of a really bad disease. The third thing is we're afraid of losing control. We don't like people to control us in any way. The last two are isolation and humiliation. And there's a whole bunch of other social anxieties that apply to those two especially. But failure is kind of all of those. You, you, you don't want to die. You don't want to get hurt. You don't want to lose control. And you're out of control when fear is controlling you. And you don't want to fail so badly that you're isolated or humiliated. So, of course, it's scary. But here's where we're going to start today. Here's where we need to start every time, whatever you're afraid of. Is as believers, we've got to fear God more than anyone or anything else. Psalm 27, 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Uh, there's several other great translations of that. One says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. So I am not afraid of anyone. The one I named this series after says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And just like courage, the, the wisdom of fearing God more than anyone or anything else is all throughout Scripture. At the end of the story of um, Moses and the beginning of the really big part of Joshua's life that we all really know, this is the last cha couple chapters of Deuteronomy, the first couple chapters of Joshua, you see God saying and many other people saying, be strong and courageous lot. God comes to Moses and he says, be strong and courageous. And tell the people, be strong and courageous. And tell Joshua, be strong and courageous. And there's a good reason. Forty years earlier, Moses and all of Israel had come to the edge of the promised land. The same place they are when this story is happening. And they got there and they had chickened out. Their fear, fear of failing to take over that land was bigger than their fear of God. And so God punished them. They had 40 years to just wander around till all the adults, everybody who was in charge of that decision died off. Now their children get another chance under a whole new leader, Joshua. And God again says, be strong and courageous. Tell them that. So Moses tells them that, tells Joshua that. Then God speaks directly to Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous. Tell the people, be strong and courageous. Joshua goes to them, says, be strong and courageous. You get the picture. But here's the picture for us. This is, as believers, we've got to remember this. Be strong and courageous to us means this. Trust God. It doesn't just mean try to pretend that you're not afraid. It doesn't mean try to find courage in a bottle or something like that. It means trust God. And when you fear God more than you fear anyone or anything else, you're in a good spot. King David understood this. 
in his best moments and in his worst, he was able to pray to God this way. Psalm 25 is a wonderful prayer that David wrote. And I hope that you, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, can take some time and read that whole psalm. Let it speak to you and percolate in your soul. Here are a few of the verses. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. In other words, please, God, help me not to fail. He continues, do not remember the sins of my youth or my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. In other words, please don't let my failures in the past be my legacy. Psalm 25, verses 12 and 15 say this. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. And my eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. In other words, David knows that if he stays within God's moral boundaries, that he's going to avoid the snares, but he also knows himself, and he also knows God well enough to know that probably he's going to need to access God's power to also get him out of snares occasionally. One of my favorite speakers and leadership gurus is Craig Rochelle. He says this, the fear of failure drives you to stop taking risks. But not taking risks ultimately leads to failure. The fear of failure drives you to stop taking risks, but not taking risks ultimately leads to failure. Another person I read a lot is Tim Ferriss. He's not a believer. I hope and pray that one day he will be. But the guy is super smart about a bunch of other things. Uh, for example, he is an expert. I think this is what he's known for the most. I'm just effectiveness, figuring out what makes stuff work. How do you actually get a goal accomplished? What's the best, fastest, most economical way to get it done? Well, he has a wonderful TED Talk about fear. You should check that out. It's on YouTube and really easily accessible. But here's the gist of it. And we're going to actually use his advice this morning to unpack some of these things that we're exploring. So I want to give credit where credit is due. Tim Ferriss says that if you're trying to accomplish something and you realize your fear is holding you back, start by dealing with the fear. He says to define it and then ask yourself, is there any way I can prevent that? Is there any way that I can stop that thing from happening? If so, take measures. If not, deal with that fact straight on. Then he says, you should try, ask, how could I fix things if it goes wrong? What if this thing happens? Is there a way I could repair things on the other side? Prepare, have a backup plan. But once you understand your fear, then you should move on to the goals themselves. And you say, what does a win look like? What would a win accomplish? What would it feel like? What would this be? And then you should stake take a couple steps back and say, what would a partial win look like? If maybe I never succeed in the thing I'm trying for, but I try and try and try, what will I accomplish along the way? And then you should make your plans with that. And I agree 100% with him. He says that most likely, when you see it that clearly, you're, you're going to run far away from those fears, even if they're still powerful. You don't want anything to do with those fears and their possible consequences. And instead, you're going to rocket toward accomplishing those things that you know need done. Another great website I saw was tlnt.com. They have a neat acronym for FAIL. They say it stands for First Attempt in Learning. So let's try and walk through all that. Let's mash that up together. 
those of us who are afraid of failing, and I'm raising my hand, I am the king of being afraid of failing, but those of us who are afraid of failing, what we're really afraid of is being labeled a failure. When I was in the back of that airplane, praying my last prayers, thinking my last thoughts, getting ready to jump. I was not so much afraid of becoming a sticky spot in the grass as I was afraid of people telling that story someday and saying, hey, man, this guy, um, he didn't have to be a sticky spot in the grass. What an idiot for jumping that day. Or even worse, that guy just never even could get up the courage to jump. Now, is there a way to prevent people calling you a failure? Is there something we can do to make that not happen? The answer is no. Absolutely not. You reach the pinnacle of success in any category, and there's still going to be a bunch of people hating you and disagreeing with you. Our political environment today in America is a wonderful example of that. It, you, you, there's some people in pretty high places of power, and nobody tends to, oh, some people agree, some people don't. I don't think you need me to explain that. Another way to figure it out, if you were the best athlete in some category, let's say you're the best football player ever, and you've won the Super Bowl over and over, you're the MVP every time, there's still a lot of people who won't watch football, who think you're wasting your life playing a dumb game, and they're never going to think you're cool. That doesn't mean they're right or wrong, it's just a fact. They th there's always going to be somebody who thinks you're a failure. Is it, can you recover from that? Absolutely. I, I don't think my personal opinion matters that much to most of the people in power in America these days. And I'll tell you this, I, I also don't think that all the people who don't watch the Super Bowl matter that much to the MVPs of any Super Bowl game ever. What would a win look like? If you stopped being afraid of failing, what would a win look like? You would try, and you try again and eventually succeed, even if you failed somewhere along the way. What would a partial win look like? Well, you'd try and try again. Maybe you'd never actually win, but along the way, you'd become persistent. Along the way, you'd become a better person, not just someone who sits in the back and never tries. To achieve that, how do, what do you have to do? What are the steps? Well, you simply try. You're going to fail, try again. You're going to learn, try again. You start that process. It's hard, but it's actually very simple. Craig Rochelle again, he says, a failure is an event, not a person. A failure is an event, not a person. Babe Ruth, the famous baseball player, is a great example of that. He's known for his 714 home runs. His nickname's like the Sultan of Swat. He's one of the best and most well-known baseball players of all time. Some people don't know that the reason he was so effective was not just his ability, but that he lived by this motto, never let the fear of striking out get in your way. Babe Ruth had actually, actually hit over the course of his career 1,330 strikeouts. 1,330 strikeouts, that's almost twice as many home runs. Five of the 21 years, he led the American League in strikeouts, and he had another nickname, the King of Strikeouts. That's not what he's known for today because he kept trying. He actually changed the game of baseball to lean more into trying to get more home runs because of how effective this strategy was. Babe Ruth knew, like Zach Williams knows, fear 
is a liar. If you haven't heard that song, you should check that out. It's great. You might have heard Franklin Delano Roosevelt's quote that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. It's actually part of this statement. I want to read this to you. I love this. He said, first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Listen, nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. One more time. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. One more baseball story. I got this from Dr. Tony Evans in a great message he has about the fear of God. He said there was a baseball player who was really good at almost everything but batting, but people were kind of nervous when it was his turn to bat. And in a very important game, he gets up and people are a little nervous, but man, he hits it clear out of the park. And he's kind of running a victory lap and everybody's cheering. And it's a wonderful moment until he gets back to home plate and the usher is waiting for him and says, you're out. And the man says, what in the world? How, how can I be out? I hit it clear out of the park. And the umpire says, you never hit first base. You never touched first base. Man, talk about feeling like a failure. Talk about all of your fear of failing coming true all at once and all those labels being flung at you. But that's really not the point I'm trying to make. I love the point Dr. Evans was making at that moment, and that is this. First base for believers has got to be the fear of God. Proverbs 1.7 is just one of several places in Scripture that just says that point blank. Proverbs 1.7 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Jesus Christ himself says in Luke 12, Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. As believers, there's no way that we can just stop being afraid of other things. But to get anywhere in life, to actually deal with our fear, to handle it, to move on, to accomplish things that matter. Here's where it starts. We've got to fear God and fear not trying at all. Far more than we fear failing. What would it look like if we really truly feared not trying? It's actually pretty easy. If you're afraid of failing, let me tell you something. Not trying is a guarantee that you will fail. A hundred percent guarantee. You will fail every single time you don't try. And as someone who fears failing, that is terrifying to me. How do you prevent it? It's actually pretty easy to prevent. You simply try. That's it. You might want to pray first. You might want to get some accountability together. But that's it. You just try. How do you recover from not trying? You try. Again, it's, it's hard, but it's simple. It's easy. What would a win look like? Well, you actually try. And you know what? After several tries and probably several fails, you, you might actually succeed. What would a partial win look like? Well, you try and you try again. And after several partial fails, you're going to actually, well, maybe you never will get there, but you become a different person. 
You have less fear. You have more courage, more experience, more hope, more trust. You have stronger relationships that have been forged in the fire of trying and trying and succeeding a little bit and failing big and everywhere in between. And most importantly, if you are a believer, you have pleased God because persistence pleases him. Success requires daily choices starting now. You're going to hear that if you stick with this series. You're going to hear that several times. Success requires daily choices starting now. Don't start tomorrow. Don't start next week. Start now. And whether you succeed or fail, do it again the next day and the next day and the next day. That is where you beat your fear. Jesus told wonderful stories that were set in the context of the culture of his day, and yet he told them in such a timeless and profound way that they still resonate for all of us today. One of those stories that almost everybody knows is the parable of the talents. Talents back then was a measure of money, and so when it says that he gave just that one guy just one talent, he, he actually gave him a lot of money. He could have done a lot of stuff with that. Sounds like just one thing, but it was a lot. He, the master in this story, Jesus told, also gave a servant, another servant, twice that much. Two talents. And he gave somebody else five times that much. But the, how much he gave every person wasn't really the point of the story. Long after this, the master comes back, Jesus says, and he sees that the people with the two and the five times how much that first guy had, that they had actually succeeded. They had invested the money. They had used it. They had spent it. They had made some money. Probably had some failures along the way, but overall they had actually doubled their investment. That first guy, though, Jesus said, had chickened out. Those are my words. But this guy, his fear of failing had crippled him so badly that he didn't even try. He just buried the money, waited till the guy came back. And don't miss this, guys. He is the villain of this piece. And if you're interested at all in Jesus, or if you are a follower and you know Jesus and you're trying to obey him, watch these details in his stories. You never want to be the villain. You never want to be the person who ends up getting thrown out of the city to the place where there's fire, where their worm doesn't die and their suffering is eternal. There's a lot of those endings to a lot of those stories. And that's the guy in the story you don't want to be. And in this story, the guy you don't want to be is the person who doesn't even try. Another story Jesus told doesn't sound on the surface like it goes with, but it does in my heart, and I hope it does with yours when you understand where I'm going. I'll explain in a second. Jesus said there was a farmer planted a whole field full of wheat, and then an enemy came and put weeds in between it all. His servants said, hey, do you want us to pull up all the weeds? And the farmer said, no, don't do that. Um, we'll damage some of the healthy wheat. Just let it go. I, I know the difference. I'll sort it out in the end. And the clear message of that story is that Jesus is going to be able to sort it out in the end. But most of us are going to be surprised. There's going to be a lot of people that say they're following Jesus. And they're right here with the rest of us who are genuinely doing that. But somewhere in the middle of that, it all looks okay to us. But Jesus at the end is going to sort it out. Some are going to make it and some are not. Just being near him just being somewhere near his field is not necessarily the same thing some of you are deep thinkers and you think what does this story got to do 
with trying and failing and all of these things we're talking about. You can't try hard enough and become a wheat plant if you are actually a weed. It can't happen. Well, you're right. But we're talking about Jesus here. And that's actually what the gospel's about, is that when we surrender to Jesus, when we actually put all our faith in him, he actually can change us from being his enemy to being God's child, from being someone who is not saved to someone who is saved, from someone who is following themselves or someone else to someone who is 100% following him, to someone who would never leave any, lead anyone near God, to someone whose whole life is about helping others find God and get closer to him. We can go from being a weed to being a wheat through the power of Jesus Christ. And if you're listening to this and you are a believer, I want you to know something. You just need to keep studying and praying and then doing and then repeating that process. Study, pray, act, repeat. Study, pray, act, repeat. And guess what? You're going to get somewhere. If you've actually got the power of Jesus Christ behind you, a couple of things are going to happen. Chances are you will accomplish that thing that he asked you to do because his power will make up for what your power cannot do. But something much better is going to happen along the way. He's going to change you. Your heart is going to change. You're going to transform from being one kind of person to another. The morning that we did this message live, we actually handed out hard copies of a handout you hopefully can see wherever you downloaded this thing. If not, you'll always be able to find it at morrisonhill.com. There's a bunch of verses, a bunch of some pictures, some codes. It's a front and back handout, but here's the gist of it. The challenge for you right now as you're listening to this right now is you should share the gospel if you are a believer if you are a believer, you should be sharing this. You should be telling people the truth that one way or another, only the wheat makes it to heaven at the end. And the only way, the only way any of us can be saved is through Jesus Christ. The core scriptures on this handout are, uh, they, they're kind of written so they make a vertical and a horizontal shape, which is a cross. So many good reasons for that. The horizontal one is Acts 2.38. That's the first time we see anyone become a Christian in the Bible. First time after Jesus had died and risen and given the great commission to go into all the world, to make disciples of every nation, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, to teach them to obey everything he had commanded and he had promised that he would, get, he would always be with us. First time after all of that had happened and Jesus had gone up into heaven and now the apostles actually started doing that. They spoke on the day of Pentecost and they gave that message. The first response, everybody goes, wow, what do we do? How do we become saved? How, how does this happen? How do we become followers of just Jesus? How do we avoid God punishing us for killing the Messiah? And Peter replied, I'm quoting now, Acts 2.38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins can be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's some verses that I think really matter. And if you're not a believer, I hope that somehow you hearing this inspires you to really dig deep and become one. 
Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's standard, and yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's the gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Romans 6, 4 says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Here's my prayer for each one of you who's hearing this message now. I hope that all of you make it to heaven someday and I hope you spend your life, the rest of your life, making the best possible choice at every single juncture. I hope you find God's perfect will for your life. And I'm telling you, that means so much more than just kind of staying out of the way, far away places. It's not just coloring inside the lines of his big, wide moral boundaries. It's seeking him. And that's why at our church, we believe uh, we put such a big emphasis on things like baptism and the Lord's Supper that maybe some other places that you've been, it doesn't seem like they put as much an emphasis. We're not criticizing anybody else, but here's what we believe. If Jesus said it, we should do it. And Jesus said... Part of the plan was repentance. So we do that. And I encourage you to repent of your sin, to give it up. Jesus said part of his plan was baptism. And I encourage you, if you've never been baptized, you've never chosen to get baptized because of your repentance and your desire to be buried with Christ in baptism and be reborn, as it talks about in Romans 6, that would be the wisest possible choice for you to make. And if you've never totally after that, maybe you have come to Christ. Maybe you've had this wonderful salvation moment, but then you kind of walked away and you, you've never been living. That, that, that's part of it too. Jesus said, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded and go into all the world and tell everyone about me. And if you're not doing those things, the wisest, best possible choice is for you to get busy doing that. I dare you to find someone to walk you through these, a real-life person. I invite you to talk to us at Morrison Hill Christian Church. Or you can talk to anybody else who will lead you in a way that honors Jesus and takes you straight to Him. That would always be the wisest choice you can ever make. Don't fail. Don't fail yourself. Don't fail God. Make the wisest choice today. That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.